We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, I'm Brandon Perna, host of That's Good Sports, a 10-minute-ish daily NFL comedy podcast. Have you ever wished for a crappy version of The Daily Show, but only about the NFL? Then, first and foremost, I implore you to dream much bigger. Secondly, I would recommend subscribing to That's Good Sports. Every weekday, I will be giving you NFL news, telling questionable jokes, and swearing just enough so you won't ever be able to listen with your kids in the room or car. I don't ask for a lot, but if you don't subscribe on iTunes, my wife said she will leave me. Thanks, and I look forward to putting my voice in your ear holes. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day, just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and today we have a very special guest. I believe it's his third time on the pod. Uh, it's always great having him. He, for my money, is the best sideline reporter in the NBA, going into his 12th season with the Lakers. He has not aged a day in that time. The one and only Mike Trudell. How you doing, man? Uh, it is a pleasure to be joined by you guys. You know that I'm a fan of you both for the work that you do. And you also happen to be nice guys, so everybody wins that way. Uh, thank you for the kind intro, man. I'm excited to get going talking about this. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we. this is the last week we've got. we got training camp uh, starting on Saturday. LeBron's training camp, his pl- private player camp, has allegedly already started. we got media day on Friday. So this will be the last episode we do until we have actual basketball to talk about. But what we're going to do... It's been a long summer, guys. Bro. <laughs> what, how have you filled that time, Mike? Oh, uh, in many in many ways, but I am just ready to watch some basketball and stop thinking about it. And you know, we'll we'll keep thinking about it, but really, like, let's just get to the camp. I, I'm I've been very anxious to get rolling here. A- absolutely, and um, 
along those lines, we, we have a new coach in Lakerland in Frank Vogel. Uh, Mike did an amazing interview with him, very extensive. It's over at Lakers.com uh, titled Getting to Know Frank Vogel. And in that vein, it's one thing, you know, from our perspective, Mike, to read it, but from your interview with him and just other experiences that you've had with Vogel, just in a broad sense, what, what are your impressions on just what kind of guy is he? Well, the thing that impressed me the most, I think, after spending some time with Frank Vogel was if you think about his basketball path, it's one that's it's filled not just with hard work, but also some real ingenuity and some thought and some some kind of finding out ways to get himself in. Uh, and that in its own right takes a lot of personal skills. And I think he's got that in spades. So you mix that element that he has from the personal side and his ability to get to know people and to be liked by people and to be a positive general person and influence. And then all of the hard work that came from the film room starting at the University of Kentucky. And, you know, I had I hadn't really heard his story, but the, the real quick nutshell of it is that he played in D3 basketball through his junior year and he decided he watched the 1992 East Regional Final, we all rem- remember it, of course, as the Christian Lakers mm-hmm. shot game, you know, perhaps the best college basketball game of all time. And, you know, I, don't know, I guess Magic and Bird might have a word, but, some, but it's up there. Mm-hmm. And he, he says to himself, I have to go and, and just jumpstart my coaching career. So he finds his way to coaching at the five-star basketball camp, basically by saying, oh, I can't wait to come back and volunteer for this. And essentially um, gets Howard Garfinkel to introduce him to uh, Rick Pitino, who he knew would be there as uh, scouting players, essentially. And he also meets Jim O'Brien. And this is going to end up being a real fruitful relationship. But he basically quits. Uh, he transfers schools to Kentucky without a promise to do anything and just finds his way through work and guile and, and pounding on the relationships to essentially become a student manager. He then learns, uh, again, a great tip by Jim O'Brien that all the NBA teams are going to be looking for people that can break down film. And he teaches himself alongside with the help of O'Brien to do that. And that really forms the basis of his career and where he is today. Because Patino goes to the Celtics three years later. He brings Vogel as the video coordinator. And from that point on, guys, it's just it's a very clear arc of him doing really well, uh, doing all the right things, working his butt off, and then getting promoted. And that's how he got into the business. And it's I, I thought of you actually, some Pete, and you too, Darius, just thinking of all the time that you guys spend uh, doing uh, watching basketball, just watching film, figuring out how to do this. And Vogel was able to do that and then leverage it into this career uh, on, on in the coaching side. Side And I just thought that was a really cool entry level uh, thinking into who he is and, and what he's about in terms of basketball. I thought the story about him basically finessing his way into the five star camp. And <laughs> and I just thought that was just a brilliant turn by him to get really some face time with Rick Pitino and ultimately with with well with Jim O'Brien. It's really just an amazing story. The other thing that I found amazing, which was a story that I had never heard, was him escaping from his childhood home that was on fire. Yes. And that was just an amazing story. And I can't believe that that's not sort of this legend that has traveled with him throughout his NBA coaching career. I think it speaks a lot about sort of this personal character and how he said that it impacted him in terms of teaching him life 
well, life lessons. Did you sort of get that impression that that's something that he carries him, that he carries with himself every day now and, and how it sort of informs the way that he even coaches and lives his life generally? You know, so the funny thing is that story actually is on his Wikipedia page, which so I, as I'm doing all of this crack research, <laughs> the excellent Joey Ramirez actually tipped me off to this story. and He's like, hey, that's one thing you might want to ask about the fire. And then I was going through his Wikipedia and sure enough, it's on there. And it is it is a crazy thing. I mean, he, so he, he's 17. He's a senior in high school and he just wakes up to essentially to the smoke, yells out to alert his mom. And they end up having to climb out separate windows on the on the upper floor of the house. And and, it, and I think it did, you know, teach him some of those lessons. He, he uh, I want to say he referenced one of the Latin phrases. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, carpe diem, I think probably uh, you live your life to the fullest. And then the other thing it did, it did teach him, though, at least. I got this translated essentially was to be a risk taker. And mm. that was what he mm. did by leaving pre-med in D3 instead of it being in that vein and sort of just staying in that track. He felt like it was going to be hard to get out of it if he didn't. And he just up and left all of it, went to Lexington and essentially talked his way right onto the just like he did in the Garfinkel. He basically talked his way onto the staff. And I this to me was it sounds uh, it sounds like cavalier, but really, I think it tells you something, because imagine how many players around the country and just how many of us that loved basketball in college. Rick Pitino was the guy then like, everybody was trying to get mm -hmm. that spot. Everybody mm -hmm. in the country was trying to get the student manager job uh, for Rick Pitino. I mean, imagine if you, you think about the intramural games that are going on in Kentucky, a big university like that, where all they care about in the state is college basketball and he found a way to do it right and that to me uh, that's not about luck like that's that's a skill that's a real skill to be able to to find your way to do that and then as he he quotes it and he says it more eloquently than i can so i won't i won't try to uh, to paraphrase it but like essentially the getting to know someone is the the first thing you have to do in the coaching business but then the work that you put in is how you get the next job like that's how that's how you move up the chain you got to know people. You got to do the the handshaking, and you got to find your way to talk yourself into stuff. But it's ultimately about the work, and that's how he ended up progressing his career. So he's got some interesting people that he's going to have to get to know, and that is, is in the process of doing that, and that he's going to be working alongside. Um, you know, there are some interesting dynamics, perhaps, with Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins. He spoke to being excited about that veteran experience on the bench, but you've also got LeBron James. You've got different you know, various power players within that. And of course, at this point, you know, he's, he's got to say that to everyone, right? That, you know, I'm excited with what I have and, and I'm sure he is, but he's going to have some interesting waters to navigate. What are the challenges, Mike, that you think that he's facing aside from, you know, it's great to have those experienced coaches, but there are perhaps other dynamics at play as well. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I know there's been a lot of focus this offseason about the coaching staff and especially just the fact that he's got Jason Kidd on his staff and then to a lesser degree, Lionel Hollins, experienced head coaches. But aside from Phil Jackson, who was the coach when I came to the Lakers and was already a legend, was always going to have the job as long as he wanted. Aside from that, man, you have to just win. Or <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what the dynamics are. I don't care who mm -hmm. the assistant coaches are. Um, I don't if you are with the Lakers and you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and a bunch of shooting around it. Uh, he is ultimately going to just be judged by that. So I am I think it's much less of a thing, whatever the dynamics between the coaching staffs and like because all of that was understood when Vogel took the job. 
So <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, Darius, I'm underplaying it too much, but I just think that this is a results thing when you have this roster and this management and the Lakers have not won in the previous several years. That, to me, is going to define um, all of this, and it's really pretty simple in terms of Vogel or anybody that was going to take this job. Yeah, I think the idea of pressure. So Vogel, the one thing that impressed me during the whole Frank Vogel um, interview process and then the aftermath of his introductory press conference was he came off super polished and experienced and someone who had been around the block and sort of knew how to maneuver um, with well, with the media and how to pivot when necessary, how well, how to be upfront and honest while not being so transparent that he was giving too much away. Um, and I think that's going to serve him well within this job. I, I think you're spot on, Mike, in terms of how he's how winning is really going to dictate the narrative around things. I also think that, you know, as someone who is close to to the team, but but also um, has a media aspect to to your job as well, that outside narratives are going to try to push themselves in to this regardless of win loss record. And do you actually think that any of that is going to be able to penetrate the story, even if he is winning at a good enough clip where you would think that he would be able to keep some of that outside noise out. Yeah. So I want to, I want to be careful not to dismiss that there are elements right at play there, especially with the Lakers, but this is an NBA head coaching job there, even in the smallest market. And he was just in one of them in Orlando uh, or another one in Indiana, even in those type of places. Now the NBA and NBA Twitter and fans, we are all so much more educated that this stuff is going to get talked about. There are going to be distractions and outside storylines, period. I don't care what the market is. I don't care if you have stars or not. I mean, look at uh, Kokoshkov in Phoenix last year, lasted one year. There was no <laughs> focus there at all. Not really many media narratives. And then all of a sudden, you have a, you have a change in, in, some, in some aspect in the front office. And then, you know, he gets fired. And in comes Monty Williams. Uh, Vogel is a, a victim, essentially, of regime change in Orlando, where they bring the Bucks staff, uh, you know, upper management staff down there. So that stuff is going to happen in the NBA. And Vogel, Darius, I thought you handled this point really well. He just really gets all that. So he's cool. Like, he's calm. When you, when you go and talk to him about this, he gets what it is, I think, uh, to to uh, what he gets what the Lakers are. He gets what the brand is. He gets what the media focus is going to be. He gets what happens around around LeBron James, he gets that stuff because it, it does seem like the three of us were obsessed basketball fans. We get that. And Vogel <laughs> has been Vogel has been in the NBA, like in various head coaching jobs and assistant coaching jobs and scouting jobs and advanced scouting jobs, all of that stuff. He's just seen it all. So you're not going to phase him by that stuff is, is, I guess, my central point. You know, it's great to have a coach that that has that type of experience that is going to be unfazed by that. And to your point, like, you know, there's only 30 of those jobs and it's a hyper competitive industry. So in L.A., it's probably impossible unless you're a Phil Jackson, like you said, to be able to avoid that dynamic. And so now he comes to this team that has had a great deal of roster change from one year to the next. It has Anthony Davis in the fold. A lot of new guys with Danny Green. You know, we, we could go down the list, but we know how much how different the the construct of this team is. By my count, there are only three guys that are guaranteed to start, and that's LeBron, AD, and Danny Green. 
beyond that, you've got, you know, positional battle at the center spot and then even more so perhaps at the at the point guard position. And that's where I want to want to focus now. Like in my eyes, the Lakers have a lot of guards that especially with LeBron as and and there's a section of your interview with Vogel that covers this. LeBron's going to be the primary ball handler, regardless of who starts at the one. And even if, you know, you had a high end one, he's still going to be the primary ball handler. Are you are you breaking news here? <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. No, no. I think this is year 18 of that. I think this is a pretty safe bet. Um, it, was treat, it was treated like that this summer. That was, I just thought that was the whole thing was funny. And Vogel kind of had a chuckle about it, too. Right. Right. It's so semantical. Right. Like it's this, you know, like LeBron's going to have the ball. Let's not make this rocket science. So along those lines, the Lakers have a lot of guys that are close together who could make a case for like there are any number four or five guys who could fill that position from Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, Quinn Cook, even KCP is a guy who could defend ones and, you know, fill a spot up need outside of that. So, you know, I, there's no way of knowing who that's going to be, but what are the, what are the elements of individual players games that you think they should be looking for to fill that position? So the, I, if I can break it down like it, that, like this, there are two players that I think at this stage of their career still have the two-way ability, and that's going to be Avery Bradley and Alex Caruso. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rondo at this stage, you know, probably still more of a of a playmaker and sort of control the offense, get the team into sets, et cetera. And you know, and then Quinn Cook really a bit more of a shooting specialist. We'll see um, how he does defensively. So it, towards that end, I would see Bradley and Caruso as the guys that have the chance to, uh, to, depending on how they play and how they shoot, to play the most minutes. The starting job uh, just at the beginning of the season, I do feel like that's going to be more of a Bradley Rondo uh, battle. Uh, but mm. that's not just, that's that's just my read um, on looking at the roster. And, but I do think that as they get playing more. The guy that I like, and I know Pete and Darius, you guys have talked about him a lot. I mean, geez, I, honestly, all Laker fans seemingly since the spring have been talking a lot about Alex Caruso, uh, and I will here too, because I we, I just do think that he fits in some of the the two man plus minus data last year would suggest the same thing. Uh, he fits next to LeBron. He fits as kind of that LeBron point guard of the past that's going to defend, that's going to take charges, that's going to space, that's going to cut to the rim, all of that stuff. But just in terms of him being basically the only young guy on the roster, I guess you could throw Cook uh, into that. I do think that you're going to get the the veteran, uh, the kind of the traditional thing in the NBA, especially for a team without much continuity at that first shot at it. And so that's a, a long-winded way to answer the question. But I, I do see it initially kind of Rondo Bradley. We'll see how they're playing. We'll see who's playing better. And then as the year goes on, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Caruso just through sheer uh, basketball get his way into into regardless if it's the starting lineup, but definitely more minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I really appreciated you asking Vogel directly and using the plus minus data and lineup data to ask him about the comparison between Rondo and Caruso in terms of playing next to LeBron. And I thought it was interesting that Vogel acknowledged some of the lineup data and how the Rondo LeBron pairing didn't quite work out last year, but then he pivoted quite quickly to he expected that to be the complete opposite, I believe was the phrase that he used this season. And I was wondering if you had any sort of concerns about that or if you 
sort of share some of the coach's optimism or if you sort of think that that may just be something that he's saying to sort of keep the competition open? Well, later in the interview, I think right towards the end, I just asked him generally, hey, you've been in the gym. All these guys have been in here. What do you see? And the first thing that he mentioned was basically Rondo was drilling three after three after three. And I thought, okay, that's that's good and that's interesting. But once the game start, it's that whole conversation. I know you and I or the three of us don't have the habit about gravity, the whole like Steph Curry thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the whole thing there. Is it, it what if Rondo is hitting threes consistently, at what point in the season do teams start defending it like they're gonna defend Quinn Cook or Jared Dudley or Troy Daniels? You know, these additions that immediately have that kind of career forty percent tag on them, where in the scouting report that's going to be acknowledged by the opponent and therefore is going to create more space for LeBron and Anthony Davis specifically. So that all of that stuff, whatever's going on right now in the gym, shooting, uh, how, you know, Rondo is such a great leader. He's, he's so good behind the scenes. It's impossible, I think, for coaches, and I know there have been exceptions in a couple of stops, but for the most part, when you're around Rondo, you guys heard Luke talk about this all the time last year, it's really hard not to respect and to kind of give him that benefit of the doubt because he's just, he's there, he's so sharp, he's so into it, he's so uh, thinking about how to maximize his teammates that I do think that they give that stuff a chance, and then we'll just see. Like, we'll be able to tell early in the season, right, if, how is that looking, it doesn't matter what it's been like in practice because even the first two or three games, there's going to be a much better read on that. So I, I just view it more, Pete, in the kind of the hypothetical right now. And I, I get why we would want to uh, the Lakers would want to look at all of these guys and why you would give the benefit of that to somebody because of how much they've impressed you in the building. So let's take a quick break. And when we get back, uh, I, I, I need Mike to talk me down from the ledge. I, I want to get a little further into the, the Rondo stuff because I, I, I have questions and I'd love to hear some perspective from someone on the inside like Mike. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back in a moment. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com backslash blue wire. Harry's founders were two regular guys tired of getting ripped off paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with the Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that'll leave you smelling great, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of the show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com backslash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know that we sent you to help support the show. And while we're here, at the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all of your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. Join now, and mybookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Mike, so I watch a lot of tape. I'm also a 
former high school basketball coach. I have no high level experience. These guys are all professionals. So with that caveat, when I watch tape and I watch Rondo and then I the, the discrepancy between what I see and then what I hear and not just what I hear, but also the playing time. Right. Like in, I see it enacted, I, I want to scream because I, I see a guy who does not play defense, who, yeah, he shot 36%, but like you said, he doesn't have any gravity, right? We, I remember that Milwaukee game on March 1st uh, at home where he shot like 10 threes in the first quarter because nobody was defending him. And he hits those at that like 36% clip, but that has a that has a domino effect on the rest of your offense, right? Because a little more attention is going to be on LeBron. A little more attention is going to be on Anthony Davis. You'll, if Ron Rondo beats you shooting threes, you live with it. So my question is, is what am I missing? You alluded to the behind the scenes stuff, the leadership, but like to me, that's not enough, but I'm also not at, you know, an NBA level coach. What am I missing that makes there be such a broad discrepancy between what I see and how he's treated by both his coaches and his peers? Yeah, that's so I think you almost answered the question in the uh with the question and it's it's very difficult to translate that like just from watching the games or looking at the data and that's again why we had the whole conversation it's not that hard to understand why the two-man lineup stuff was that different like if you have caruso with lebron he's playing defense he's cutting to the hoop he's not on the ball therefore lebron is on the ball more that's always better. I don't care who the teammate is, right? Now, we'll see about Anthony Davis. That's obviously another a good thing to have going for an offense. But So that stuff, I think you're right. That, that stuff does make sense. It's all pretty clear. But what you don't see from watching or if you're even – even I have to almost glean it off a bit from the players and from the coaches, but I can see some of it in the building and just uh, whether it's on the plane in the hotel, all this kind of stuff. They're just he, – he really does – garner respect from his teammates and his coaches and that does mean something now when that's like that is why i think you get he gets some benefit of the doubt and there's also this whole this whole every coach is going to come in and just want to see it for themselves how does and i think vogel said that almost explicitly in the answer is it it's almost like yep you know i'm aware of what i'm aware of what we saw last year i'm aware of some of the data but you know let's let's just see how things look with actual spacing you know around and and all of that stuff so i know i'm i'm wrapping around a little bit on the answer but i think that it's not, there isn't going to be Pete, a, there, I, I'm not going to be able to sell you on that. Right? <laughs> sure, I'm, sure. Not saying, and I'm not trying to, um, I'm just saying we will, that kind of stuff should be pretty evident once they actually start playing in lineups together, but it also represents the challenge of this team. And a lot of teams in the Western conference, especially have continuity going into the season. You know, you can go up and down really the teams that we expect to make the playoffs for the most part, with the exception of the Clippers, who uh, and even the Clippers, they're, it's almost the same roster. You just bring in Kawhi and then Paul George once he gets back healthy. Aside from Westbrook, the Rockets are all the same. Portland's wings are different, but the rest of the, the roster is constructed the same. Denver is almost exactly the same team, and you add a shot blocker in Grant. So the teams that they're going to be competing against are going to have a continuity edge with their coach. They're going to have a continuity edge with the personnel. But what they don't have is – potential all NBA starting first team forwards and all the rest of this stuff that all the who's playing point guard and what lineups. And if JaVale starts versus if Dwight does, it still to me comes down to the fact that, and, and I don't, I really don't think that nationally this is being discussed enough. I mean, this is LeBron James and Anthony Davis playing together. That is an absolutely absurd pairing. 
And I did this whole thing, like James and Davis, uh, looking at the top NBA duos since 1980 and how many teammates shared the first team. And it had only happened six times, you know, going, wow. going all the way that, really? that time. And, and it's and it's some of the it's some of the players like that you would expect, right? It was um, it was Kobe and Shaq did it three times. Jordan and Pippen did it once. Stockton and Malone did it twice. Magic and Kareem twice, and then one time a piece for Bird and McHale, and what was the other one? I think uh, oh Nash and Sotomayor in in oh six oh seven. So and, and now it could it's going to be difficult, right? You have Giannis, you have Kawhi, but. James and Davis are very clearly, uh, to me, two of the best four and probably two of the best three forwards. And, and like that that alone, putting shooting around them is so much more of an important thing than how Vogel d- distributes the point guard minutes. And if, you know, if Caruso gets 20 and uh, Bradley gets 20 and Rondo gets eight or if Rondo gets 15, like that stuff to me is going to get ironed out and has to. But we we're. We, we're going to kill ourselves trying to figure out exactly how the coaches are thinking and approaching that um, as opposed to kind of the bigger picture focus. So if I'm hearing you right, do you think we're overplaying um, issues at maybe point guard and at center? And I think the center discussion is interesting as well, based off of Anthony Davis's ability to play center a lot. And but the Lakers still carrying JaVale McGee and then bringing in Dwight Howard after the the DeMarcus Cousins in well injury and are we paying too much attention to that or because this is a team that is expected to compete for a championship and you know from following the league for as long as you have and seeing championship teams up close and personal that all of that all of that work around the margins when you start to get to the second round of the playoffs the conference finals and then the finals those things matter a great deal and so are we overrating it at this point based off of the Davis-LeBron uh, pairing, or is it something that should be minimized some, but then come playoff time, we may go back to it and say, well, you know what, this really was important. No, it's uh, so I, I was I'm kind of chuckling to myself as you as you asked that because it's so the three of us right. We're going to overthink everything with <laughs> basketball because that's we're obsessed with it. We love to watch it, and, and we're going to take uh, – like the way that I think about it, all right, if you've got LeBron, da- LeBron James and Anthony Davis, there are very few question marks with that pairing, right? We can, we can agree on that? Yes. yes. Okay. So if you – now just stay with me here. If you go to Houston, I've got some questions about Westbrook and Harden and how they fit, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in a playoff game. Uh, I've with Utah and with Portland, I've got some questions. If your two best players are guards, right, that like that typically does not win in the postseason. And that's my concern with Utah's as deep as they are and as, as solid as they are. You know, Mitchell and Conley, you can just switch LeBron over to them for a key for you know, like the Derrick Rose effect in, in Chicago. Same thing that just happened. Lillard can get swallowed up in postseason games by bigger wings like that kind of stuff. Those the question marks to the two best players to me are a lot more important than the question marks up and down the roster. But Darius, you're also right in that looking at this roster right now, the biggest question mark is because it's otherwise Pete would have said at the beginning, well, clearly there are five. We know who the five starters are going to be like if that if that were the case. Right. Then there wouldn't be that level of concern about who is it going to be? How many minutes is that player going to play? Uh, how what are the lineups going to be constructed like? Is it going to be a secondary ball handler? Is it going to be a defender and space shooter? So it's very much relevant areas. It's just that if I'm building my team. 
the thing that I want the most is nice cohesion between my two stars. And that, on both ends of the floor, to me, the Lakers have an advantage over everybody in the league. In, in either conference. And so that's that's all I'm saying. The point guard thing, you're right, yes, but that's what the regular season is for. Figure out the best uh, point guard to start, figure out the best rotation, all of that stuff. But what you don't have to worry about is getting a good shot in the half court because you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So my hypervigilance, yes, it is in part because I obsess like you guys do about, about all of this stuff. Um, but it's also because the stakes are completely different than they've been for several years around here, right? It's, you know, I, I, I don't, think that this is a championship or bust season. I think this can can be a successful season outside of that, but I think I'm probably in the minority in believing that. But if that is the end goal, and in a season where there is no Warriors, there is no Heatles with LeBron and Bosh and Wade, there is no clear-cut favorite, I see the championship within the Lakers' grasp, at least. If things break the right way, it's not beyond the realm of possibility at all for that to happen. One of my concerns, and, and this speaks kind of to a philosophical thing, is that when it comes down to it in those deeper rounds of the playoffs, there are two, maybe two and a half guys on this team that I trust to be able to fulfill their role on the team when it counts the most. Even Danny Green, who I think is a wonderful player, he was a guy who wasn't even always on the court at the end of games for Toronto last year, being replaced by Fred Van Vliet instead, right? And so it's not that I need another star in that third role, but can you do what your job is? Can I trust KCP to be KCP and nothing more, right? But but be KCP deep into the playoffs. And that extends to any player on the roster beyond Anthony Davis and LeBron, because I've seen enough times from watching the NBA over the years, guys falling apart when it matters most. And what I don't want is a repeat of some of those LeBron and Cleveland teams where it's like LeBron and Kyrie and everybody else is, you know, kind of falling apart when it when it matters the most. So to what I, I guess, what do we need out of guys three through nine? Because like you said, man, this is the best duo in the NBA because not only are of their individual talent, they fit together. They can vibe off of each other, but we're still going to need those guys three through nine. So my question to you, Mike, is what is it that we need from them in order to get to where we want to go? Well, so the first, the first clear thing in this to get, to bring last year into this discussion. And I think that Rob Palenka did a really good job of, of course, correcting this is you got to have the shooting around a duo like that. So that, that clearly to me, at least was the priority of the offseason. You signed the best three and D guy that was available in Danny Green and that immediately fills a need, not just defensively, but with the shooting, you know, 40% career three-point shooter. I've shot 45% last year, uh, right? So, that, like, that that's the first thing that you do. Then you bring in some other shooting. Uh, I really like Jared Dudley. Um, I think that he and Kuzma are the two guys. And I think Darius, I either I, we had the same tweet or you wrote about this, and then I did after, and I, can't, I couldn't remember the order of this. But, like, when, when uh, the whole thing about – uh, when DeMarcus Cousins went down, that was to me what we were going to see more, right? It was Davis at the five and then and then Kuzma more on the floor and maybe even Jared Dudley as opposed to another center that you were going to sign on the waiver wire, which turned out to be Dwight Howard. Like that to me was was the next thing that was really important. That wasn't that wasn't that part of what you were thinking, Darius? Yes, it was. Yeah. And and I like Dudley a fair amount and Kuzma as well. I wrote about this at, at uh, Forum Blue and Gold, but that I actually think that they're the perfect type of combo forwards to slot between Davis and LeBron just based off of their very specific skill sets and how they can complement them in in different ways offensively. And I was super encouraged 
with the Team USA stuff now with Kuz. And it was a bummer uh, that he hurt the ankle and he didn't actually end up being able to go to China. But he was doing almost exactly what I would have loved to, you know, what, what, like the, if you just wrote out a sheet in terms of what do I want him to do around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's what Kuz was doing for Popovich in Team USA. He's cutting the basket, he's rebounding, he's taking open threes, but not off the dribble threes that he had to create or felt like he had to create last year, especially when LeBron and Lonzo and Ingram and everybody went down. Uh, he's working as hard as to play defense. Like he still had some of his weaker points. Like he get, he would get matched up with a miles Turner um, or you know, somebody like that, where it's just a difficult matchup inside in the paint. But other than that, he was doing all of these role player things, but with some swag. And I, I just think that that could be a really nice compliment, especially in those lineups when you get down to it with Kuzma. So uh, Pete, getting back to what you were asking about and kind of what they're looking for to me, the whole point guard spot thing, like when you when you brought in Davis and what you had to give up to get him and then you had to get Danny Green. And so from that point on, you didn't have all that much money and there really weren't that many players available, at least in terms of a point guard spot. Like you saw what Ricky Rubio went to Phoenix for. You know, that was uh, for a lot of money for not that many years. So. With that said, as the season goes on now, you see how you can plug that point guard spot. And if the guys in the roster can do it, great. If not, that's when you start to think about uh, whether there's something you can do with the trade deadline or not. But you, you have what you I think Palinka did about as, as well as he could have to build the roster around that duo. And that gets back a little bit Pete, to what you said about championship or bust. I think they feel like that. And they're the Lakers and they're always going to feel like that. But it also does take some time to be able to pick off a piece that fits perfectly. And it's that fifth piece. It's that, you know, it's that um, I'm trying to think of who that player would have been, you know, because it couldn't have been Lamar because he was the sixth man, but maybe the Shannon Brown and the Jordan Farmer and the guys that just come in mm -hmm. for 10, 15 minutes and do like do the right things. I think they have those guys in the roster. Um, I don't know yet how Vogel is going to utilize them, but I do think that it's they, like there's enough in the puzzle for him to, to figure out. And that like there's enough that they can do to compete for it right now. I think they're what are they second in terms of odds in Vegas? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're right there. It's there's that, you know, group. I, I have concerns about continuity. I have concerns about like, I think we need one more guy. I know you're not at liberty to discuss players on, on other teams as a Lakers employee. But, you know, as guys possibly become available via buyout or uh, the trade market, Lakers are a li little limited in terms of assets of what they can move for that. I think they're one guy away. I don't think that guy needs to be amazing or anything, but that's that's about where I think the talent level is, because I think that the drop off is a little too severe. I think you've got a lot of those 10 to 15 minute guys, but I think maybe you need a couple more of those 25 to 30 minute guys. Right. And the next piece of that, though, uh, and I'll kind of throw this back to you, though, Darius, when you're and this is something Anthony Davis hasn't seen yet. But when Anthony Davis is your second best player, the defense can mm. do a ton of focusing on the third, fourth and fifth options. It just yeah. so all of these guys, uh, the rest, you know, Pete, you mentioned it, three through eight. They are, I just promise you, are going to benefit from that. They, like, you have to defend this team a certain way. And this mm -hmm. is something I talked about Vogel with off the record, but I, I kind of asked him, like, hey, how do you defend a LeBron James, Anthony Davis screen role? Right. And, like, it's this is a, th that's the part to me that's interesting, too. And maybe one of these guys that we watched that was on the roster last year or that they brought in from somewhere else just looks better because, hey, you know, that you have two top five players on the court. Yeah, I think the attentiveness that the defense is going to have to play, um, or pay, I should say, 
to Davis and LeBron, wherever they are on the court, whether they're playing in two man game together or whether or not it's it's LeBron at the point of attack and Davis sort of a lurking strong side post up or weak side lurking as as a lob threat or as an off ball screener for for Danny Green. There is a lot of action that Frank Vogel can build into an offense that almost can serve where they're where the Lakers' best players become decoys of sorts in order to optimize the maybe more limited talents of their teammates. And and just like you said, Mike, I do think that players, especially those who are comfortable working in off-ball situations and who have played on high-level teams, and I think that points to a Jared Dudley. I think that points to maybe even a Quinn Cook, um, that those guys can end up thriving off of the Lakers superior talent. One thing I wanted to ask you, and it's sort of been something that I've talked about a lot, not only on this podcast with Pete, but with other Lakers fans on Twitter or just in general calm conversation is, is a closing lineup. And do you think consistently we're going to see closing lineups where the front court is actually um, LeBron, Kuzma and Davis? And do you think that's going to be a closing lineup staple or do you think that Vogel will play a more matchup based where even if they are playing maybe against a Joel Embiid type or or a Nikola Jokic or a Carl Anthony Towns, maybe someone who is um, a strong post post presence that they go to maybe one of the banger centers in 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 order to keep Davis off of that responsibility? No. So I think that. And this is coming off of just watching a lot of Davis some of the years. And I know I know Pete, you especially just have been watching clips lately. But the beauty of him is that you play him at the five and you don't lose anything in terms of rim protection. And he can also switch out in the perimeter. He basically can do everything. So he's the guy to me. If you think about a seven game series and a matchup against, say, the Clippers, how are you going to guard Anthony Davis? And because he can guard you, he can he can either move his feet or he can play off. And then he can still get to the rim and protect the weak side. And guess what? In a seven-game series, so does LeBron. This is what people keep forgetting, I think. Well, okay, maybe I'm, you, maybe I'm overcorrecting here. But LeBron in a playoff series defensively, especially in the third and fourth quarter, is a monster. And you, you don't want him to do it in November and December and January. But all that athleticism and that instinct and him digging down and him protecting the rim, like that stuff happens too. So if you have those two guys on either side of the court, and then to me, you absolutely will have Kuzma in that group, and then you'll have Danny Green. And in terms of the, the final spot, to the basic point of it seems like this podcast that we've talked about the most, all right, if it's defensively, uh, is it Caruso maybe? Uh, is it Bradley maybe? Or do you just want that extra spacing from Quinn Cook out there and who's going to give you the most gravity? So that it's that option, I think, can come into play. Maybe it's KCP on a given night uh, if he's if he's hot on that on a given night. So. Uh, but those I do. I do absolutely, Darius, put Kuz into that group. And I think that Davis is the whole key to all of it. And, and that's in a series. That is a lineup that is really scary uh, to me if I'm an opponent, because you can you can really do everything on both ends. And I just don't see almost any classic center aside from Joel Embiid, who plays kind of differently. He still a lot of times plays on the perimeter. Um, so I don't see almost anybody else having their big in for crunch time anyway. So you're not going to need that banging. And if a team wants to do that, fine, go ahead. You can, I don't care if you have Kuzma Davis or LeBron on that player, or even Jared Dudley. That's like, that's fine. If you want to, if you want to do post-ups late, cool. 
and then we'll just spread you out on the other end. Yeah, it's funny. I'm working on an Anthony Davis video that should be out this week. You know, I'm watching all of this footage and I'm just like, I almost rushed to Twitter and was like, you guys, you guys, Anthony Davis is amazing on defense. Like, like everybody doesn't know that. But just the degree to which somebody, uh, Dan Bailey said this on, on Twitter today. He said, he put it perfectly. He said, Anthony Davis at the elbow is a step away from blocking your jump shot and a step away from blocking your shot at the rim. The distance that he covers with both his legs and he, he's an ambidextrous shot blocker. He'll block shots with either hand and his, his quickness, his ability to hedge high, but still be able to recover and not be beat by guards, ability to switch all that. It, it makes me wistful for, I wish he embraced playing the five a little bit more. Um, but I do anticipate that, you know, him, it, our best lineups are going to involve him at the five because it neutralizes so much of what you can do. But in the spirit of this being a training camp preview, he's not going to start at the five and you've got JaVale and then Dwight was signed later in the off season. I'm of the mind that if Dwight is caught up enough, if he's in good enough shape coming off of the back injury and all that, he's the guy that makes sense. Because if you're going to put JaVale, like if, if you don't want AD to absorb punishment and you want a guy to be able to bang with fives, JaVale isn't really a banger himself, right? So maybe JaVale has an advantage. And you pointed this out uh, in a recent mailbag that you did, Mike, in terms of familiarity with LeBron being in, with the Lakers for a year. But I think Dwight, off-court stuff aside, is the, the better fit. How, how do you see that center battle, you know, for that starting position kind of playing out throughout training camp. I saw, I saw JaVale did an interview with Spectrum the other day and where he basically said, Hey, I started last year. I expect to start, but we'll see. I think I'm going to form a great tandem with Dwight and yada, yada, yada. Um, I would give McGee the edge to start the season again, just for continuity purposes with LeBron. Uh, He played well early in in the season. He played well late in the season. He looks to be in great shape. Uh, I also think just just given what Dwight's uh, the structure of how they brought him in, uh, it just to me, it does make some sense to kind of build that up and to see how he's doing, see how he's doing in practice, see how he does in the preseason, et cetera. So I do I do. I personally would probably give McGee that early edge. But I actually so just to get back to what you said about Davis quickly in the five. My mission this offseason has been to sort of underplay that in the same way that I'm underplaying the LeBron point guard thing, because he ultimately is absolutely going to play plenty of center in crunch time and, and especially in situations late, but he's not going to play the the start, the first quarter, third quarter mm-hmm. center minutes where it does seem to be like that is the time when more teams go up big and bang a little bit more. And which essentially means that he's going to be playing center when it matters, when it's not really playing center because you're no teams at that point late in games are really going into the post and banging and necessarily flying at the glass because they're getting back in transition. And it does become much more of an open court game. So I just don't see uh, that being as much of an issue. I think he's going to play there enough. And he said it perfectly in his presser. He's like, look, I, we all know I prefer to play the four. He went to look at Vogel. But coach, trust me, like when you need me, I'll be playing the five. And, and that's how it's going to be. It's interesting. I thought Vogel sort, sort of... Um he said the quiet part quietly um, in in your interview where he talked about most teams play a shooting center um, about 50 percent of the time. So if we were doing an over under for Anthony Davis, do you think he spends over or under 50 percent of his minutes at center this season? I still think it would be under uh, I, okay. just because, again, those just those those first minutes of the 
of the half and then kind of like the second rotation. And again, even if he's even if he's like I just view basketball much more positionless. And I know you guys do as well. And when he's on the court, even if it's with LeBron uh, or Kuzma or even Jared Dudley, Dudley at times switched on to centers last year in the postseason against Philly. Mm-hmm. From Brooklyn, it, you're like that's that's stuff that you can do now, or you can just trap. And you guys are are better than I am at, at all of the language and the, the various things that you can do defensively. But I, so I again, I, I'm underplaying it probably again. That's been sort of my theme over since I came to the Lakers, I think, in 2008. Uh, but I just I don't see that as being um, as as central, uh, and no pun intended, because I think that Davis in the moments where uh, of the game that are really going to matter. Uh, he at that position makes the other team not able to play a center and therefore he's not really playing center even when he is playing center. I think I followed all of that and I I agree. Uh, (laughs) This is great stuff, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always good to talk to you guys. Uh, Hit me up anytime. For sure. All right. Uh, You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. something that's very rare indeed a laker to get mvp chance right in boston, in boston. of all places are you kidding me <laughs> i know red arbach is uh rolling over kobe hard to believe are you kidding me unreal are you kidding me how strong was that a triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot back down lakers by three ryan spinning in the lane back for gasol and the critical part was Pierce was jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. decisions for your company you always look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents books and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89 percent off usps and ups rates and with the stamps.com mobile app you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are even on the go 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.